I suppose the, the best advice I can give someone looking at the planning is to minimise the internal corners. Every internal corner makes your square metre rate go up. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to another jam-packed episode of the Property Developer Podcast. I trust you are well. How is your developing going? Are you pushing things along? Today on the show I speak with a builder about the construction side of property development. As you know, the building side of the project is one of the biggest pillars of the process, so getting it right is crucial to the overall success of your project. Before we get to the discussion, here's a quick update on my projects. Things are trucking along on the 20 townhouse project. The scaffolding came down from the back of the front townhouses, and the rest of the scaffolding will come down in the next two weeks to reveal the external facades of the building. So that will be exciting, and it will start to have some real street presence. Along the back row, the internal fit-out is continuing with flooring going down and painting being done, and they are inching towards completion. On the second project, we just submitted our town planning application to the local council, so now we are waiting for their response to see if we need to provide further information or amend anything on our plans. That'll probably take about four weeks till we hear from them, so fingers crossed they are generally happy with what we have proposed. Okay, on with the show! Today I speak with builder Chris Brownhill from Brownhill Homes about building property developments. Chris is actually the builder we are using on our current project, and most of his clients are property developers who are doing multi-unit developments. Having a good relationship with your builder goes a long way toward ensuring the success of your project. In this discussion you will hear some ideas on how to choose a good builder, how to best work with them, and some suggestions on how to manage build costs. I started off by asking Chris... What food he could eat until he was sick? <laughs> what food could I eat until I was sick? Um, pretty much anything, really. I've got a pretty strong constitution, so, yeah, it's all, all good. A meat pie and chocolate milk, that's the builder's kind of favourite, isn't it? Uh, it's a bit of a killer for me, so especially being off of tools now, so <laughs> you, you keep going with it. So when you sort of sit down all day, it doesn't help. Yeah, OK. Uh, Chris, we're here today to talk about building, construction. Yes. Uh, And can you give us a bit of a background about how you got into the building game and how you became a builder? Uh, First, it started with school. I always liked the woodwork thing and sort of little projects at home and and doing things like that. It's when you sort of sit back at school and you sort of think, what do I want to do? It's sort of, um, I liked maths and working things out as well, so it was either getting into carpentry side of things and ultimately building or becoming an accountant but I sort of thought I prefer the outside and so I'll I'll stay outside and now I sort of tend to sit inside anyway but um, it's it's an industry I love I've got a a passion about Um, I like the individuals we work with and you know I'm quite happy with my choice with it so and your company you've had for 15 years or more, I think? Um, yeah, we've sort of had the company for uh, over 20 years now. Um, actually, prior to that, I had a, a mate that I sort of you know, finished our um, building course and decided to tee up subcontract carpentry, and we sort of got our building licence there and did a few jobs together there, and... Uh, Unfortunately, we sort of had different views on things and parted ways and uh, went out on my own with the construction. Well, we're here today to talk about developing and construction, which for a property developer is one of the key pillars of their projects. And you've done a lot of project work or a lot of work with developers around here, so you've got a lot of experience doing multi-unit developments. Yeah, it's pretty much... It started um, for us when we sort of started doing like a couple of little developments for people and then did a few on our own uh the and it's it's sort of turned out sort of a, a bit of a niche market for us and and specializing just the different challenges that it takes and uh, i'd probably get a little bit bored if it was just a, a one-off home all the time not that it's I, we, we don't do it but you know 95 percent of our work is for development and you know, the challenge that it takes and all the different designs and things like that. So it's it's worked well for us and rewarding. 
So tell us a little bit about well, what's the difference then between a, a, like a single lot build versus a multi-unit project? The, the main restraint we have is getting the trades on site. Uh, you've got to, access has got to be king. You've got to make sure that the trades, trades being trades, and, and I must admit I was the same, you want to get your tools and everything as, as close to the job as you can. Um, one, you're, you're running your leads and your tools and grabbing the tools, keeping an eye on them so they don't go missing. So what we have to do is we have to really plan the site out as where everything goes and, and make room for parking and coordinate the trades so they're not working on top of each other and every townhouse or, or unit has someone in it where we can. So if you sort of have a couple together, they like you don't want someone sanding or making a mess when you've got a painter there, for instance. So, And you're always trying to keep that flow working, which can sometimes be a bit tricky with people you know, not showing up when they're supposed to. All right, so... How can a developer work closely or get the most out of the builder that they're choosing to work with? Communication. Communication has just got to be the the best thing. It's, it's got to be first and foremost. Uh, communication with design uh, aspects and where where you can save. the. A lot of times we're a bit restricted on... Like I could sort of tell you to build a square box, but um, it's probably not going to look that good and planning's not going to allow it either for obvious reasons but there's different ways with engineering aspects the energy energy reports and things like that how you can maximise your return and also get the best home for the, the end user So getting in touch with the builder as early as possible? Yes, well we recommend a sort of basically a, a lot of people as they'll come to us sometimes they'll come to us with a block and the We'll sort of recommend some designers to go to and, and where they go, but we all we ask to sort of keep in contact with them the whole time, get the a sketch plan and sort of say, well, you know, how's this going to go? And we're not designers; we're we're builders. We work costs with it, so we're not going to tell them how to design. But what we try and do is we try and tell them what it's going to cost to do it this way versus that way, and then they can sort of work with their designer and then ultimately get the best value for money to get it there because most of the developers are doing it to sort of change their, their lifestyles and, um, you know, for the better. So the, the more we can work together and do that, the better it is for everyone. So how does that relationship work potentially with a designer and the builder? The designers, like, getting a good designer is is great you obviously you want you want to get the plans looking and in a, a nice saleable and also working for like i said before the end user you want we want we the the people that move into the house to be happy with the home you know we, we love positive referrals from them we and ultimately the developer gets that as well um I once had a, twin, a, a guy I'd worked with in the past come to me with a 20-unit development and unfortunately their, his interest in what he had approved for planning he was so happy that he had all these townhouses approved but their basically living area consisted of an area about 1.5 metres wide which was a walkway as well and I basically said to him I can't build these, it's, it's not going to work and he was a little bit of a shock at, at first, and I said, well, in, in the end, I sort of measured out 1.5 in our showroom here and put a chair there and said, this is your area you're going to put a TV, and this is your walkway as well. How are you going to furnish it? He goes, well, it doesn't matter. You know, you've got these bedrooms here and you got that. Um, and, I, and I turned around and I said to him, I've got to deal with these people. You sell it. I've got to deal with the people that, that move in to the house they're going to complain to me about it and why I built it. So I had to sort of, you know, stand by it and just walk away from it with it. Uh, he was a bit upset with me, but he did understand. The He just sort of, I think he got someone to build them, but it's that's where the case of a developer is just trying to get too much on the site without thinking of the, the end user. Yeah, okay. And then in terms of quality... How can a developer go out there and find 
a good builder, one that they know is going to build a good product at a fair price and they're not going to have issues with it in three, four, five years' time? You've you got to look... You, I suppose you've got to really ask the questions on, you know, what they've done in the past, look at their work, the get recommendations from other people, how they've done it, the ask them for their warranties, what warranties they have. Um, for example, we won't introduce a new product... Uh, we'll first of all make sure it looks good in what we believe looks good uh, then we'll, we'll get a warranty with it as well because what you don't want to occur is you don't want to sort of things start to break down as, as you move in because one, it, it doesn't do anyone's name any good so you, you're going to have problems with things and it's, it's also how they deal with um, problems that they do happen so it's probably a good thing to even talk to some of the end users that, you know, the purchasers and the real estate agents and how how their customers found because people will complain the um, and we're all going to get it and I think anyone that says they don't get complaints is a liar but it's it's how it's how we deal with them um, and you talk to other people how they deal with it they like a real estate agent's not going to recommend a builder that gives them problems it's you know the same thing we're not going to recommend a designer or something like that that. Their, their plans are no good. So it, it goes back to communication and asking the right questions and, and look at how things happen with it. Um, yeah, and someone else I spoke to mentioned that the real estate agents, the builders and the local designers are quite a good pool of people to talk to to get recommendations for the other people that you're looking for on your team. It, it is because it's, it's... I suppose even in building, like... If I'm, if I'm looking for a good fixing carpenter, I talk to painters. If I'm looking for a good plasterer, I talk to fixing carpenters and, and painters. So it's the people that follow on that, that have to deal with uh, what what they get that will... And they're not going to recommend someone that's going to give them grief. Everyone's looking for the, um, the best path for, for them also. All right. And any other questions you think developers should be asking the builder? Uh, yeah, well, there's, you know, like you, you've got to look at your timelines. Like the, one of the things that we're always consistently looking at is where, how, how long you're going to finish and uh, how long it's going to take because, as, as you'll be aware, that the interest costs and things like that and holding costs uh, uh, can get astronomical. Um, and also what, what they've done in the past, have they done a job similar, is how they deal with it, how they plan it what processes they have the have they got support staff the having having the staff to be able to communicate with you and you know how you deal with questions as a developer you, you want to know what's happening on on your site um, a lot of developers are, are very busy so you know is are they getting sort of weekly reports are they getting monthly reports are, have they got photos to thing? Can they can they meet the builder uh, to go through things? It's all all that sort of thing with it, uh, and how closely the builder will work with you. It's it's like anything. It's if you work as a team and you can communicate, the communications there, and everyone's got a common goal. Everyone wins. It's it's when people sort of go, no, stay away, don't don't enter my site. I don't have to tell you that. That's when things fall down. If you if you use a football analogy, it, it's it's the teams that work together are the most successful. Uh, so I encourage as much as I can the communication aspects of it all. Actually, speaking of communication, I wanted to ask the question about why it's so hard to get in touch with builders. Yeah, well, it's it is with um, you, it's limited time, and, and unfortunately, sort of. You know, people always sort of want your time with it. Um, it's one of the things, even with myself, I know I'm sort of not the easiest to catch on the phone. Uh, but I try and encourage people to email me with things there. And even if they say, look, Chris, can you can you call me about this? And um, even my message bank, I, I ask people to sort of say exactly what it is. The amount of times I get people to say, can you call me? And then I'll ring them back and there's a question about something that I have to research and get back to them again. So yeah, it's just a matter of prioritising the time. Emails, most builders, I would hope, would clear their emails daily. 
and get all the questions answered. But yeah, I, I understand it. Sort of, it's one of the things, and we can't always get the answer straight away. Also, so it's a lot of questions you might have to ask two or three people to get an answer to get back. So the the minute you know the information it's good to be able to act on it. Yeah, I know trying to get in touch with a builder in the past and his voicemail box was full. He couldn't even leave a message. <laughs> That's handy. <laughs> he was a very, very hard man to catch. <laughs> yeah, needless to say, he didn't end up winning the, uh, the job to, to build the project. That's no, not going to help. No. So what kind of relationship would you like to build early on with a developer so if someone rings you up out of the blue what are the kind of things you're looking for the kind of questions that they're asking that would let you think this is someone serious that i want to keep the conversation going with yeah someone that's looking for um like a a long lasting relationship that we can we can work together with it Uh, someone that's likes the quality uh someone that's going to get back to us quickly with details because you know a lot of people say oh the builders don't get back to us and things like that we often get the same thing back from clients as as well trying to get answers and i know it's decisions and you know sometimes people are not sure what they want with it but a a good decision is always a quick decision with things but at the same token you don't want to rush it either so i do understand that uh you know, we'll get some people that'll sort of say something really quick and you have to say, look, are you really sure about that? Have you really considered every aspect of it and things like that? But it's communication again. So when you talk about quality, a quality builder, because everyone's going to say that, every builder's going to say they do quality work, how do you know as a developer, how can you confirm that they will do quality work? Again, like we were saying before, ask the real estate agents, uh, look, ask past clients go past look at their look at their previous jobs uh, unfortunately some people aren't gardeners that buy houses so going past in a, an untidy garden sort of doesn't help things but it's just look at it uh, making sure that they sort of like you said follow up if you know someone that cares about things will follow up and, and make sure that it happens and really sort of someone that you you've got to be able to sort of get along with people as well um, and make sure that their their personality suits your personality then you can work together because i don't know some people can but most people really want to have that relationship with people i've had a client for over 20 years and you know he's i know how he thinks now so a lot of things the guys will ask me saying well you know, we've got this issue here on this and what do you want to do? We can't get in touch with him. I said, look, just do this. I'll leave him a message and tell him what we've done. Nine times out of ten, it's uh, it's what it is. And that's, that's where it's it's so good for a relationship to work and trust. You've got to have that trust. Yeah, well, there's so many conversations and phone calls along the way that you, know, you do really need to be able to get on with the builder that you've chosen to work with. That's right. You, you don't want to have a... You know, a, a, like for us as a builder, we don't want to have a client questioning every time we um, we, we give them a price on on something. Um, but the same token is the the client doesn't want to feel the need to price it. So that's where you try and get as much information as possible to um, get out so it's easier for them. Actually, speaking of price, so when a developer gets back the 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 quote. Yes. What things are you hoping that they'll be looking for rather than just the bottom line? Uh, it's a good question because a lot of people will look at the, the bottom line and that's that's the end of it. The we, we try and meet up with the prospective client or developer here in our showroom and try and get a bit of a feel of what they're after, what they want to achieve, what they want. Uh, but what we do is we will give them a base price on things and then note separately all the other items they've got so they can make it up. But all the extra items that we do price, if they delete them from the from the price they can still build, it's only an upgrade. So trying to customise that price and get what they want is always helpful. 
because of the fact that a lot of people sort of go to the agent and they'll say, oh, look, we're going to get 900000 for this and we want we want this and we want that and then they'll up-spec everything and not realise it's going to cost them $850,000 to build. So it's it's getting it's getting that point that the agent can can sell it comfortably and and the builder can sort of build it to a price where the developer makes a profit because the, the agent realistically is going to want all the inclusions to make it easier to sell. The owner's going to want all the inclusions, but there's not going to be builders around if they get all the inclusions and sell it for the prices they want. So it's just, again, getting that happy medium. Yeah, you always need to be a bit cautious when you're speaking to agents about what kind of specs to put in the house because, as you say, they just want the best specs possible at oh, the lowest right. price so that's they can right. get the sale done. <laughs> it's, um, it, it, everyone sort of wants it easy, and it's just, you know, I'd love it really easy for us as well, but, you know, I'm a realist too. We've got to sort of make it that, you know, we've got to really keep push, keep pushing our limits, uh, and the agent's got to push the limits. Everyone's got to push to their limits, and get the best out of everything for the best price. Yeah, and that's also the role of the developer as the conductor of the orchestra, as I like to say. That's their job to try and... or they have to do that along the way, keep everyone... Oh, they have to, yeah. Because if you get if you get sort of some people that, you know, just go, well, just deal with them and it, it doesn't work, and then having a developer that can sort of say, no, it's got to be like this and sell this, uh, and then work with the, the purchaser to sort of, you know, add on if they want it but it's one of the common things I have to say to developers is remember you're not living in the house you're selling the house and there's different people have different choices some people will want a pink bathroom and some people will want a white bathroom um, and a developer that wants a pink bathroom isn't going to sell too many houses <laughs> actually have you had any sort of strange situations over the years with colours or bizarre requests for builds Oh, you, you often with the colours, some of the colours there. I know we had a client years ago and she chose these tiles in her bathroom and I thought, oh, I don't think these are going to look any good. But you've you, you got to be sort of mindful of people's choices and things like that. She was an end purchaser. Um, but to be honest, I said to her after she did it all, I did did ask her at the time, I said, look, are you sure about this? I'm... I'm not sort of got a good picture in my mind about this. And she goes, no, I'm sure. I said, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll do whatever you want. It's, it's what makes us all different. But to be honest, it actually looked fantastic. And I, I did say to her when finished, finished I said, you've, you've done well here. I, as you know, I wasn't sort of too keen on the idea. But it did look good. What I try and encourage the developer selling, though, is, and it's probably sort of something with the agents, is to keep things fairly neutral um, with with furnishings and things like that. If they start going these way out colours and things like that, you, you'll notice that the purchases will change. The purchases want that wow factor. Kitchens kitchens and bathrooms, they've got to look good. And that, that's the things that will sell the house. So if you've got that fairly neutral without being too way out, they'll, they'll sell easier and you know getting those display boards and all the marketing right the the developers that do the marketing with the colors that, that all work well are the ones that sell them a lot earlier off the plan so it's it, it's so important the marketing and and it's probably something that's only just for me the last few years it's sort of gone more you know the guys that do it really well are the ones that spend the money on the marketing and again it's a happy medium because some will do you know, probably too much but it's just getting that right and then speaking of colors and, and finishes and things like that is that i mean i've had a color consultant help with that in the past is that something you'd go to the builder and say can you help me with this or do you have a color consultant how do you work on those finishings um we've got an internal person that sort of she'll sort of go through with clients and sort of assist them with colors and, and things like that uh, the We've sent people off to colour consultants and they've come back with these colours and they haven't liked them. But so, And other people will, will love them. But colour consultants, it's like anything. They know what colours go and you know to the general public. But And as a developer, it's probably a good idea to have someone pick the colours, unless they're quite good with them themselves. But 
you just got to be careful. You, if you go in to go to a colour consultant, you've got to be confident enough that you can step back and not implement your own views and colours and change things, which a lot of people will do. So you've got to be comfortable with it. So if you can stand back and say, I'm happy with that, like you might you might do a development and not really care what it looks like, but a lot of people do. A lot of people want to go past and go, well, yeah, I've done this one, I've done that one. And if you're in for the long term, you, you want it to look good and you want it to stand the test of time as well. Okay, just going back to the pricing, so when quotes come back, are there any sort of big numbers or items that you'd suggest developers take a closer look at? Uh, the site costs. The, the site costs are one of those things that it's very hard to, unless you've got all the documentation to get, and like often we'll get uh, people coming in with their town planning drawings or their sketches and we'll try and overcompensate what we think it's going to be with it but knowing it's, we'll put it down as a provisional sum and you notice the people that, that look at the end figure that they won't come back because they'll come back to someone that's, you know, we might estimate a site, say a site cut at say 20, 30,000 knowing that, you know, we've, we've done a calculation what we think but someone else has signed a contract with them to say it's going to be 10,000 and it's just impossible to do. So you've got to look at your provisional sums and, and what could, could do it um, one of my favourite sayings to clients is, if I if I tell you something's costs you less, you're smiling at me. If I tell you it costs you more, you're quite upset with me, and it, it doesn't help with the relationship. So uh, we had a client for a while there. We'd we'd give them prices on the development feasibilities and things like that. Now I was sort of fairly conservative with the the pricing I'd give them, and they'd say, oh well. You know, you've, you've got to be able to do it less than that. I said, look, I think I can, but I need to get all the documentation. I'm just giving you a, a worst-case scenario for it. And he goes, no, no, you can't. You've got to do it here. And I, I found that really difficult to do it because he sort of... He was buying the properties based on my estimates of, of what he got, which was a concern for me in case he come back with it. And he was one of these guys that wouldn't talk to you through the design process so all of a sudden you get this drawing back and he's changed all these things so trying to keep it within those budgets without having the communication there was was difficult and he wanted bottom line dollar to buy it and so what about coming to a builder and saying i wouldn't i need to be able to build for X amount, you know, I need to be able to build it for one hundred and sixty-five or one hundred and eighty thousand. Is that yep. is that a viable option to come to a builder and say that? Uh, yeah, as long as you sort of work through the design process with it, and you can sort of say, look, you know, keep to this square, you know, try and try and minimise that, and we might say, look, it's move. Get you're going to have to get rid of this, or drop your spec down a little bit in what you have. So. That's why you try and sort of keep things as a base. We have here, we have a lot of standard items that we sort of, which are good value for money. Now, you've got your up, optional upgrades, but if we start at the standard and then hopefully if you come to me and say, look, you know, I want to keep it at 185000 or something like that, um, and I can come to you and say, look, you know, building stands 160, and then you can upgrade to what you want from there. So, but... It's, it's just got to work through it. Once you start doing it, the engineering and the cantilevering of, of items and things like that can throw things out. We've had, um, just recently, I've got one with a um, some town planning. They've, they've come to us with some engineering. Now, the engineering has got all these board piers throughout the home. Now, the client's just gone and got their own engineering done, which in my opinion, was excessive compared to... Now, I'm not an engineer, so I can't do calculations on how it works. So all I can do is ask another engineer. If I think it looks a bit out of the ordinary, I can ask another engineer to say, look, can you have a quick look at this? What do you think? Uh, And I did the case, and he said, no, you don't need all that. So we've sort of recommended the client to redo his engineering possibly save you know ten thousand dollars on his engineering to do that but 
he's got to spend another two and a half thousand dollars to do that to get another engineer. So that's where we sort of say, look, you know, just give a couple of rough sketches first, and we can get some second opinions on it. Uh, another one that we're getting at the moment is the energy reports with the um, the thermally uh, broken windows. Yeah, they've got to try and be avoided as far as the cost goes. So a lot of times we'll sort of suggest have another look at the um, the energy reports if you can get that same value with upping the insulation rather than the windows. It's just different ways to look at it. And tell me, what about this uh, apprehension that builders have to giving a, a square metre or a per square cost, this sort of mythical figure that a lot of people are always chasing? Oh, mate, if I could, if I could get a square <laughs> metre rate and give it to you, it would save me that much heartache and I'd be home a lot earlier at night and probably um, at home might be a bit better with things as well. They'd be happy with me. But we've tried, we've looked at it and, you know, we, we have people sort of say, look, you know, we can build for $1,500 a square metre and then they'll come and, you know, they'll have 20 internal corners and it's, you just can't do it. Like, we'll, it pretty much costs us about $1,000 to do a, a full unit quote. Um, because we spend the time with it and we know what it is and we, we basically measure everything up as we go. Now, the amount of quotes that we do and what we could do, if I could quote a square metre rate comfortably, I'd do it every day of the week and people would have a quote back in a day. But unfortunately, with unit development, it's just impossible. And I've, I've tried different methods of getting a square metre rate and adding a few things and trying this. I've just about got it there. But it's it just can't it's it can't do it. Yeah, well, there's there's too many variables really. There is about it. I suppose the the best advice I can give someone looking at the planning is to minimise the internal corners. Every internal corner makes your square metre rate go up because if you you imagine a a square-shaped building compared to an L-shaped building. You've got the same amount of external walling. The roof will probably cost you more because you've got more wastage and more cuts and things. And it just... So that sort of thing affects your square metre rate, size of kitchens, what you, how you fit your kitchens out. You can have, like, a tiny little kitchen. Like, galley kitchens work out a bit cheaper, whereas, you know, some people go for the U-shaped kitchens and all the corners and things like that every corner costs you if you get a straight run you're, you're saving okay and go on top of each other but again that's a planning issue and looks yeah yeah i know a lot of councils do like to have articulation around the exteriors these days to break up that visual bulk exactly right yeah and so and even some of the external features that get added that they, they look great and you'd sort of you know i'd probably choose to put a lot of them on my house but when you sort of you get people that come and say, oh, "Look, I want this for fifteen hundred dollars a square meter," and then all of a sudden they've got all these additions and internal corners, you just go, "Well, it's not going to work." And how much should the developer be involved or take an interest in building products, so different types of external claddings or cement render sheets, bricks? Is that, is that something they should really be too interested in, or is that the builder's game and leave it to them? Oh, it. I suppose it depends on the personality. Um, it, like as a developer, you're you're doing the developing, so it's it's your vision. You want something to stand back and look at it and look good. Uh, if you sort of if you don't sort of come and visit it and just want your end costs and look at that, then I suppose how it looks is you're relying more on um, the real estate agents and what they can sell and then you're looking coming back to the the builders with what they can do for a cost as well so again it's just I can't emphasize enough the teamwork with everything even as a building company we we rely on our, our trades and things like that um, as a team and we work together to get the best for everyone all right speaking of costs Variations. How do we manage those? Yeah, well, your, your best way to manage your costs for the variations is don't have them. 
but uh, and there's a lot of companies that will say no variations at all. But I've sort of decided a long time ago, and I sort of like to put myself in the, the shoes of the other person I'm talking to. And if I was building a home and wanted to build a home, and someone said to me, "I don't like the kitchen. I want to rip the kitchen out and have a new one," my my philosophy on that is, if as long as you pay for it. Um, you can have whatever you want. The where we get a few issues with it is where a developer will sell to a purchaser, and the purchaser wants a change. Now, obviously, they can't change anything to the outside, and you know we'll, we'll allow them to change things to the inside, but only if it doesn't take longer on the build. Because obviously, as a developer, you don't want to extend the time on the build. So, unfortunately, sometimes we we have to say no to the purchasers just because it's going to delay time. Like, if a good one is um, polished timber flooring, if we haven't got polished timber flooring in there, if if we think it's it's going to delay finishing that one by, you know, a week or two, we're going to have to go back to the developer and say, you're going to get delayed. Now, unfortunately, with townhouse and unit developments, you've got to have them all finished at the same time to get your, your titles and compliance and if there's ways you can work around that and some there, there are some ways that developers can work around it and then it's their call but uh, at the end of the day a lot of the discussions with that around timing and, and that with the variations have got to come through with an okay from the developer first rather than the client um, we get a lot of requests for changes in that. Uh, we, we do charge now for variations after uh, contract stage and that sometimes gets met with a little bit of angst from purchases and things but what I explain to people is, and it's from years of experience and I know one we did one years ago with a 10-unit development and I was up till midnight every night of the week for a period of about two or three months just pricing the purchaser requests for variations and they they basically just on a whim you know thought oh, I'll try that I'll price this I'll price that and um, you know obviously it affected my um, private time with my family getting things done so after that I sort of said look you know if, if someone's really serious about it we'll make them pay for the variation um, and then we take it off the, the cost anyway and we put it in but at least they're sort of not adding things in just on a whim all right. What are the things that developers do that frustrate the builder? Um, one, sometimes, not a lot of them are sort of fairly good. Um, communication on site with trades can sometimes throw things out for us. The they'll they'll come on site and say, "I want this," and can you do this for me? And all of a sudden, that you know, the the trade will, will go and do it, and then there's there's other implications that affect things with it. So. That's that's one of the things they do. The a lot of them will rush. They'll rush through the planning stages and uh, not really carefully consider some of the the other options because. And for for us, and like you know, they, they might all of a sudden tell a client they can have a tiled niche in a bathroom. Um, we might be just be about ready to plaster, and and all of a sudden they'll go, "Yep, you can have it for this," and you know, off you go. But even a simple tiled niche, we've got to look at uh, if is there any plumbing piping running through, is there any electrical wiring running through, how's and all that affected. So it's it just comes down to sort of all that the planning and, and looking over and looking at you know different things and how they get affected. The the agents the, the agents will tell the purchasers that um, the the job is going to be starting early and and all of a sudden you know we get phone calls non-stop from the purchasers as to why it hasn't started or or they'll get false promises on you know where they're going to be in we had one particular job and it was a um 13 unit development and the we'd sort of agreed with the the builder the sort of you know sorry the developer that we'd start in sort of january we were all teed up ready to go uh, and then there was a few finance things and getting things started, so we didn't start the June, but they had to have so many pre-sales, and they promised all these clients they were going to be in before Christmas. And people generally 
only hear what they want to hear. There's some people that actually think about it first, but we were getting phone calls daily, and you know, even on one stage, you know, people were sort of saying, "Oh, the builders really let us down here and that," and we we were a little bit tired because we couldn't sort of say, "Well, the developer and the agent shouldn't have told you you could start." We started in June. We know we're we're not we're contracted to finish in April. We're going to finish in February, but we couldn't say that. We were sort of trying to sort of protect the developer thing, saying, "Look, things have happened, and there's nothing we can do." But it goes back to your question about uh, being hard to get hold of. Those sort of things make it harder when you're answering in fleeting calls from people that have, haven't been told the truth. Yeah. I'm- often wondered about being a fly on the wall on a, in a, uh, a real estate agent or selling agent being in a room with a potential buyer <laughs> listening to some of the things that they maybe say oh yes it's um it and and that's where too like working with a good agent is for us it's great and and good for the developer in the end because you, you just want everyone to be sort of happy with what they've got and once they you know, if you've got someone, especially around Christmas time, if they're expecting to be in at Christmas time and they're not, they you know they might find their, their Christmas family gathering at Christmas time and you know with or their new home and everything like that, and all of a sudden you're telling them that it's it's not going to be done, uh, and you can tell them ten times, but they'll go back to sort of oh the agent said you would, and it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so that's probably sort of one of the things for us that you know the developers could probably tell you know get the right agent that's going to tell people straight any others any other things developers do that frustrate you or frustrate builders oh not most of the thing that sort of it's it goes along the planning the planning things with it like like we were saying before just wanting you know making things sort of impossible to sort of build like there's a lot of things that like we've got to consider safety with people and you know how we get heavy loads up how we move things around um the the finance is probably one of the main issues we have at the moment because um i don't know whether too many people know you you with your building license you sort of you're allowed to do so much outstanding work at a time so for us it's a bit of a juggling act to sort of you know, keep our regular customers happy to be able to do things and we've had sort of you know customers sort of say look you know I've got this job I'm going to start in, in February and all of a sudden you know with, with finance or something else they don't start till June now and I've had the case that I've said no to other work and all of a sudden we've been light on for work because I've said that so it's just a matter of you know saying to people when can you start? Make sure your finance is set up and work with it. Or well, it's it's last minute things with the tenants and other things demolition. You know, we we signed a contract recently, and um, then the the client sort of says, "Oh, look, you know, I'll give the tenant notice now." But you know, not sure whether you're aware, but tenants need sixty days notice to vacate. So, and then all of a sudden, the tenant will got to give five days notice, and they're out. And all of a sudden we've got to sort of pull out all stops to try and get it happening for it. Well, not to mention the time it takes to actually abolish all the services. <laughs> well, that's right. So it's... And dealing with authorities, uh, it's... If, if a developer can get a lot of the authority paperwork done first, that helps. Like, we, we do assist and we get it through with it. You know, a lot of people don't know how to do it. Uh, but the ones that do know how to do it and probably our, our regular ones that will sort of try and train people on, on what to do. So if they get those things first, that can be 30, 30 days wait for things as well. So it's just getting all the documentation right with them. And it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't help. Speaking of uh, financing, how about paying bills, developers paying their bills on time? Yeah, well, that it all helps. And um, it's, you know, like the old saying, money makes the wheel go round. But for us, it's... We try and pay our trade sort of fairly quickly, and you know, hence it. If we if we need a favour from them, they they know that they'll come and do it, and they know they're going to get paid quick. But 
you know, if we get we get some clients that all sort of sit on it to try and sort of save themselves some interest costs and and things like that, it all it does is it just hinders the cash flow of everyone else's. So, you know, one of the things I always say to people: if you pay your bills on time, we'll, we'll keep moving on your job. But and rest assured that if I've got a client that isn't paying, it's only going to affect their job because I will will stop the jobs with it for that very reason. Uh, and because you hear so many builders going bankrupt or, you know, people getting upset with things. I was on the phone to a lady this morning. It wasn't a development, it was a house, but, uh, you know, they paid the builder too early as well, and that's where clients got to be careful as well. You know, make sure the work's completed and and done, but they paid him too early and, you know, they've gone over time and she's trying to get out of the contract and it just goes back to the salesperson. You know, selling promise in the world and them saying, yeah, yeah, but it didn't happen. Good point. I wanted to ask about that. So a builder going bust for a developer is possibly one of the worst things can happen because the job just basically stops until it gets fixed up, which can take months, if not longer. It, what are the kind of warning signs that you'd be looking for and how could you avoid it in the first place by making sure the builder is uh, solvent? Um yeah. I'm not sure sort of what checks and balances as a developer can do to make sure they're, they're solvent, I, I suppose. You know, sitting on the other side of the fence and not having to sort of do that, um, I know that the banks and finance companies and there's frustration as it can for us. A lot of them will ask for our financials and, and things like that. And, yes, it's a lot more work for us and we've got to do it, but from a uh, developer's perspective, Perspective, it's it's probably a good thing, and probably and it, it stops those cowboys, those cowboys that are that are going to, you know, sign up jobs and, you know, not for a realistic price, and in the end, it's it costs everybody because it it not only you know costs the builder you know lost because he hasn't done his due diligence, it, it also costs the developer because going over time, it's. If you've got a job that's supposed to go for eight months and they end up going 14 months or something, it's not only extra interest that costs you, it's, an, it's a potential another job. So to get the jobs done quickly is, to me, is really probably something that do, isn't considered. The, a lot of people will just go, well, yeah, it's going to take, you know, 14, 15 months and then I sort of sell it and, and it's, it's off there. But they don't realise that, you know, in that period of time, they can, if you can save three months or two months every single job, before you know it, you're getting extra jobs in, you know, every sort of four or five years, which in, you know, in cost is worth, you know, a lot to you. Yeah, well, I've spoken in the last episode about exploring innovation and ways of uh, doing things quicker or finding different materials. Is that a conversation a developer can have with a builder about looking for new techniques or finding out different ways of doing things? Oh, definitely. And um, I've learned a lot from um, developers in the past and sort of, you know, they'll say, well, what about this product? What about that product? And as much as I'll research and, and look into as much as we can to, to find that edge uh, for ourselves and, and our clients, the, the, the more people that come forward with ideas and things like that, like a lot of it could be a waste of time, but... There's a mountain of stuff you can look at it, and I was looking at a product the other day. But the logistics of it, I'm not sure whether it's going to work properly. But uh, I think it's probably the way of the future if it can get worked out. So, what do you see with the future of building? Um, I think everyone's going to need homes. There, it's it goes up and down. I, like I'm, I'm a realist with things. I, I know that sort of. At the moment, it's, it's it's boom time with it. Uh, it's it'll quieten down again. And it's, it'll just I, I hate the the doom and gloom talk that they have on the um, on the radio on the news at times. It's, I think sometimes I think people listen to the the doom and gloom with things, but it's to me I, I look at it as a challenge anyway. Like if it's I'm always sort of wanting to sort of work out how we can do things better, and um, if we get a bit more time to do it, we'll research and try that way as well so yeah, I was saying to you earlier I think the 
Melbourne property industry is actually too busy for its own good at the moment. It's making a lot of people complacent and it's hard to get things done in a timely way. It is, and I think, you know, it's... And then it gets, it goes back to the honesty with things as well. It's, you know, a lot of the trades will, will overcommit and they'll, um, they'll, they'll tell you they can do things within a certain timeline and you've, you've really got to sort of know what they can do. We've, we've actually got our own checks and measures for a lot of our trades as well just to know that what they can comfortably do and what they um, can um, get through because a lot of them just say yes to everything because of that fear of doom and gloom. They'll just take everything but you just can't do it. And and one of the things I'll always say to our, you know, the trades with things, I said, look, don't be scared to say if you can't do it in the time. We'll, we'll work around it. You, you, you're still going to get the next job office, but you've got to say if you can't do it because you let everyone down if you if you don't, and that's when you won't get the next job. So, And it goes back as a builder. If a builder can't do it in, in a timely manner for the client, they've just got to say the same thing. And is there anything that developers can do to speed up construction time on a project? Um... Yeah, if they get the planning, um, if you can, on your designs, if you can get as much room for access and get things built, you'll get it a lot quicker. Um, We did one a little while ago that we, basically they had um, the driveway down one side and down the other side they had like the five metre backyards the whole way down, uh, which they sort of had that off the, the front as well. So... I suppose there's a little bit more open space around it, but we managed to get the um, done fairly quickly because we could um, basically have cars down either side. We ended up rocking both sides to make it, and had to scrape the rock away later, but it just meant we could get cars in and going back to, like I said before, having the, the trades right next door to where they're working, they're uh, a lot happier because I've had trades in, in the past when you've had really tight access sites park in the middle of the driveway and refuse to move and um, you know, you'll get some trades leaving because of it and what, <laughs> there's some pretty colourful characters in the uh, trade game how do you go managing those guys it's, it's just a matter of being calm like you know, years ago I had you know, a plaster and a carpenter wanting to punch on because you know, the carpenter wouldn't move where he's cutting and it's just a matter of just staying calm and you know take you know try and get them to take the emotion out of it and then work together um, you're always going to get it I think every industry is going to have those colorful characters that a little few little hotheads in in the past but we just try not to get it too involved with it and tell me there's a plethora of reality TV shows out there at the moment these kind of you know, renovate your home in a week kind of shows. What's your view on that? Is it a bit frustrating for a builder with people coming in with unrealistic expectations about how long it takes to get things done? Yeah, it, it does because like I've heard background that sort of like they'll sort of you know go, oh, yes, this can get done in you know a week, and you know like the block they get a room in a week. But you know from what I've heard, there's about fifty people working on the top of each other just to get it done. So. People sort of say, well, you know, people with no experience can get this done in a week. Why can't, why can't you? But they don't realise that there's all these other people and there's, there's a beauty in television. So um, I, I don't mind as far as ideas. A lot of clients will sort of say, oh, look, you know, I've seen this on the block or I've seen this on Selling Homes Australia or something like that. Um, and then we'll sort of go, oh, yeah, that looks good and we'll, we'll try that. And it's, to me... To me, with building, like I love the building. I, I love, you know, driving past and you know seeing something we've done and, and how it looks. And so, to keep sort of evolving and improving and things like that with the building is is good for us. And, and like shows like the block and, and all that, it's only just different ideas. And you know, you just got to sort of open your mind to new ideas. And my kids get sick of me sort of saying, "Oh, we did this one," and you know. How does it look? But it's it's having you know having the different ideas and you know as you go through the time and look at we've been doing it for over twenty years so different design aspects you know some things you look at and go well, 
that, that era was a little bit ugly, but at the time, you know, everyone was doing it, and we all thought it looked good. Is that and, the, uh, uh, the statue of you on top of the charging horse out in the front of one of your developments <laughs> aged a little bit? Yeah, we'll try that. <laughs> <laughs> a bit more 80s, late 80s? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in your 20 years of building, what's the toughest decision you've had to make? Uh, probably one of the ones was a, a developer who was a, a regular client who I'd become really close with. He was a, a great mate. Um, he was building in an area where he sort of had to sort of cut his costs and he wanted us to sort of use some materials that it was giving us issues. Um, you know, like tapware, you can get tapware that sort of, you know, we'd do five houses and we'd, we'd have to come back and fix three of them. And, and it wasn't sort of, you know, like we have now, and you know, in-home warranties and all that sort of thing. So a lot of the issues that we were having were coming back on us. Um, he wanted the, the cost down all the time and we'd, we'd sort of got to our, you know, breaking point with it as, as low as we could go with it. Um, and I basically had to say to him, look, I still want to catch up with you. We'll, we'll catch up and we'll have lunch once a month. We'll talk on the phone. We'll, we'll do this. Um, I regard you as a close friend, but unfortunately I can't do your work anymore. And he sort of, you know, took that okay. He sort of said, yep, that's fine. You know, yep, we'll catch up. And, you know, that was probably four or five years ago now. And, um, you know, we've remained in contact and, you know, he's, he's done some things. He's... Um, one of the builders went bankrupt on him with things, and so it sort of after that happened, I sort of thought, well, yeah, that's it. You know, I'm glad I made that decision because it could have been me. You know, as as close as, as friendships you have with people, you still got to sort of, you know, still get that. You know, you you don't sort of hold against them if they can get things cheaper and do things, and you know, the same thing is we'll try, you know, get as cheap as possible and and get that quality product for them, but. He's sort of come back to us now, sort of saying, well, you know, can we stick to your standard items and do them for you? And um, and also I want you to do my house. So, um, and he's doing a quality house and it's, you know, it's a fair, fair way from here sort of thing, more one of the more affluent beach suburbs, but um, it'll be a beautiful home too. So um, it was a tough decision at the time, but it was, you know, I'm sort of stand by your decisions, you know. I sort of never really worry too much about decisions. I sort of say, well, okay, there might might be a wrong decision, but it's a it's something you learn from and you you move on with it. So that was one of them. Probably another one is when I was doing my own developing. Um, you know, I sort of like to sort of keep some here and there. I sort of always work out my. Um, break evens with sale and if I keep them and there's you know I, I had a few built up and then I had a, a stage where I sold them all and um, and then others I'd done and I wanted to keep some but I've had a good deal from the real estate agent and sort of thought well okay you know I'll get that and and let them you know thinking sort of you know short term gain whereas you know I was sort of you know looking at long term gain and that was probably three or four years ago, and I think I got five hundred and fifty thousand, and now it's worth about over eight hundred thousand. So, you know, it was a decision at the time. Went, yeah, okay, well, you know, if I can sell it and I can move on to the next one, but um, having that base and you sort of see it, it's 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 sometimes worth. You know, I wouldn't mind keeping a couple of them. I think that's an issue developers also grapple with the uh, costs <laughs> they then see their product at three, four, five years later going up. Oh, it is, and it's it's one of the ones years ago. One of you know, going back twenty years now. One of the developers we're still working for now. He, um, we did you know, first job we ever did for him was five units, and um, it was the time just before the the East Link Tunnel in, in the Ringwood area, sort of thing. And um, before that, they sort of had a fairly good growth through it. And you know, he sold the, the five units, and then a couple of years later, uh, one of them got put on the market and sold, and he said to me, he said, oh, she actually made more out of that house, having it, owning it for two years, than I made in the old development. And I said, well, why don't you keep some? 
and you know, and he, he started to now. So you know, or you know, from that time. So, but it's it's one of those things. that sort of, what do you do? You sort of, you got to sort of be able to sort of manage and keep doing things as as well as getting that juggling act. Yeah, where well you need to recycle your capital to get through onto your next project. Exactly right. And then sort of it's, it's the ones that are, have kept it have sort of keep the banks sort of um, at bay a little bit as well. All right. What's your final top tip for developers? Communicate. Communicate is king. Um, and talk to as many people um, and look look to build those relationships with your agents your designers and you know build a good team that you can rely on and, and trust each other and and just work work together for that common goal alright if you could go back in time talk to a younger Chris when would it be and what would you say to him um, it's probably, and and I probably do that with you know a lot of um, we've had our own apprentices and um, young guys in the industry, and um, if they're keen, I say look, learn, learn, never stop learning, never you know follow your dreams, do it, do what you want to do, um, look to. Obviously, you know, doing your own developing work and, and doing that, you, you've got um, more control with things. But um, save your money, um, don't waste it. But the, the main thing is learn, communicate, get on with people, and just enjoy the ride. Oh, I think that's pretty good advice. All right, where can people find out more about Brownhill Homes? Um, we're on the website and just Google Brownhill Homes. Um, we're just in Maroondah Highway, Ringwood, just um, up from Car City. Or, um, yeah, give us a phone call. Yeah, check out the website and have a look. Yeah, we're actually updating the website at the moment, so it's a... Um, under construction? It's under construction. Oh, we've got the old <laughs> one there, but the going back to com- um, communication before, we're, we're looking at uh, client portals um, to just more information flow for the clients and... Um, also help with selling tools and things as well. That'd be good. Mm. All right, Chris, I'm very grateful for your time and sharing all these insights from a builder. Such a critical person in the developer's team. So thanks for sharing with us and for being on the Property Developer Podcast. No worries. Thanks, Justin. See you later. See you, mate. Okay, there you go. I trust you enjoyed that chat with Chris about building. I really enjoyed speaking with him about construction and ways you can maximize your relationship with the builder. Here are three things I took away from our conversation. One, ensure you communicate effectively with your builder. Chris talked a lot about the need to communicate regularly and effectively with your builder. This is important as there are so many questions to answer and issues to resolve along the way. So you want to have a good working relationship with your builder. I think you can get a good feel for a person by speaking with them on the phone a few times and then meeting up with them to go over your project. Ask them some challenging questions to see how they respond. Something like an example of when a development build didn't go according to plan and why. How comfortable would they be with a lender going through their financials? Do they have any complaints or debt issues going through a resolution process? And then listen and see how they react and respond. Finding a good builder that you can work with will really go a long way toward ensuring you can bring in projects on time and on budget. Two, ask for client referrals from your builder. If you're seriously considering engaging a builder for your project, I would ask them to provide three or four developer clients that you can speak with about how they found dealing with the builder. A good builder should be willing to provide this information to you. I would ask for developers currently doing a build, as well as people who have completed projects. Then I would ask those developers how they found working with the builder, whether they had any issues, how they went solving problems along the way, were there any surprises, how was the communication with the builder, and most importantly, would they use them again? This should flush out whether the builder is worth continuing the discussion with about your project. If you start getting a bad feeling, then proceed with caution or not at all. Three, seek feedback from your builder during the design phase and before working drawings are completed. Try and get the builder involved as early as possible in the discussion during the design period. 
They will quite often have some good ideas on ways to contain or reduce the build costs or reduce the construction time without affecting the design outcome. It is helpful for the builder to provide ideas before the working drawings get done so that the consultants can consider different ways to build the house, such as reducing or eliminating any steelwork and helping you keep the cost down. Involving the builder along the way is also a very good way of keeping them informed of where you are with your project. For example, if you're in the early design phase, or if you've lodged at council, or if you're expecting a permit back very soon. This can help reduce the time it takes to move through the construction phase. Alright, we're almost done for another episode of the show. You can find all the previous episodes of the Property Developer Podcast over at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Property Developer Podcast to see my property development videos and pictures. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I love producing it for you. So until next time, may all your project builds come in on time and on budget. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.